Okay, everybody. Hey, man, thank you guys so much for being at New Life. How many guys are actually excited to be here, though? Yeah? All right. See, there's a difference. There's a difference between being here and excited to be here. All right. So I'm going to gauge that based on about like 97.3%. Okay, good. Love it. By the end, my hope is to convince the rest of you that you were glad that you were here. All right? So I, I, to do that, I need to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at our North Platte campus, those worshiping with us at other venues, and those worshiping with us online today. Um, not to mention, uh, I don't want to leave out actually, those of you that are worshiping with us here live in the West venue. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys, man. Thank you so much. We've been in a series that we're going to wrap up today. All right, that means we're going to end something. All right, hopefully you've been enjoying it. It's been a benefit to you. But we're going to wrap up the series that we started called, it's called The Call. The Call. And the whole concept of the series, The Call, is basically going and following Jesus as he first called his disciples to do, do something. You guys remember week one? It was the call to follow me. <clears throat> me. <clears throat> um, let's go back up. Uh, can we just like, we'll start all over. This week, we're going to play week one. It's going to show up right here. Everyone just watch. Just messing around. Okay. So Jesus comes to the disciples who are mending their nets. They're collecting taxes. They're doing a bunch of different things. And he says to them, follow me. All right. So they drop everything and they go and follow him. <clears throat> and along the journey, there's more and more, like, if you will, calls that he has for them. Like, the next call that we ran into was the call to, you know, not settle for the better when you can have the best. See, there you go. You're catching on. That's good. Then it went from there to a, another call. It just keep, it kept increasing. And this call was the call to go and make disciples. Really good. Really good. Uh, that's profound and radical. The call to make disciples. Jesus is like, hey, look, I'm not doing it all. I'm just giving you the example. Now you go do it. And then last week, we talked about the call to deny yourself and take up your cross. Okay, very good. That is, that's potentially some of the, the most difficult to palate scripture in the entire Bible. To deny yourself and to take up your cross. There's nothing easy about that. Okay, so that was a very difficult challenge of a call. Uh, but after Jesus has given us all of these calls, here's what happens. He's brutally crucified. He's buried. A stone gets rolled in front of his tomb. But yet, <clears throat> three days later, the stone bursts into pieces. And Jesus comes you know, walking out. He's alive again. He spends 40 days teaching and ministering with his disciples. And then on the top of the Mount of Olives, he ascends into heaven while his disciples are standing there watching him. This is going to lead us now to the last call. Um, the call of Christ. Where the call of Christ says this. Come home. Come home. That's the last call we're looking for right now, is the call to come home. While the disciples were standing on the top of the mountain, on the top of the mount, I should say, um, two angels showed up and they said these words to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. It says, Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he's going to return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. This is, the, this is what starts to set up for us the doctrine of hope. Hope for the believer. 
Hope for the person who's put their faith and their trust in Christ, like Romans talks about. Hope for the person who's decided that Jesus Christ is going to be their Lord and their leader, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that you're going to follow him for the rest of your life. So today, if that's for you, if that's who you are, today's message is a message of hope. If you're here today and you're seeking to know whether Jesus is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, if Jesus really is who he said he was, and if Jesus is going to be your leader, then I would say this to you today. Today, today is going to be one of two things. It's either going to be extremely scary for you, or it's going to be amazingly inspiring for you. My prayer has been this week that for those of you who are seeking God and have yet to really say, I want to surrender my whole life to him, that today would be a day that's completely inspiring for you and that you would, after hearing today's message, you would say, I want to follow Christ. That's my prayer. That's my hope for you because Jesus is calling all of humanity to come home and be with him. But to hear that call, we have to surrender to him on this earth. And so here's what that call is going to look like in 1 Thessalonians. It says that for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. A loud call, basically, right? First, the Christians, those who have put their faith in Christ, who have died, will rise from their graves. That's good news. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So it says, encourage each other with these words. See, that's what makes it encouraging is when you are a person who has decided that Jesus Christ is gonna be your King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It cannot be encouraging until you get to that point. But here's what we do know, the call to come home is gonna be a loud call. It's not gonna be something that a Christian misses. You're going to hear it. But to hear the call Jesus has high expectations for us that he wants us to live out before he ever gives the call. It's the reason why we're still here. It's the, I'm going to call you home, so in light of that, here's how I want you to live while you're still on this earth. And Jesus gives us some amazing instructions on that. You're going to find those instructions in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. So let me just preface the rest of the teaching with this. There's going to be a lot of scripture given today. I would highly recommend you to pull out your smartphone, open up version, and click events and get all of the scripture because it's all there. You can actually hit save on that plan and keep it forever if you want to, or it can be with you for the rest of the week. There's going to be some amazing scripture. Some things I guarantee you some of you have never looked at before, but they've been right there in God's word, plain English. Translated from the original language, obviously, and it's going to speak some profound things to you. So let me set this whole thing up. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking out of Jerusalem toward the east. That means they have to go down into this small valley, and then they're going to climb up the, the Mount of Olives. Now, when I say climb, I'm not talking about like they have to use ropes and, you know, uh, climbing gear. We're, we're just talking about they're just going to walk up this hill. Uh, to the top of the Mount of Olives. And somewhere on this journey, they're talking along the way, and Jesus decides, hey guys, let's just take a break and let's sit down. And with the cityscape of Jerusalem in the background, so picture this with me. You are the disciples, you know, I'm the one talking to you, and behind me is Jerusalem. It's beautiful, it's incredible, it's, it's the most 
one of the more advanced cities of its time. Um, it's got this massive temple, you know, that uh, David had uh, started building, Solomon finished building. He's got this amazing temple. You're looking down into the valley. You're looking at the temple. You're looking at the temple grounds. You can see it all from the Mount of Olives. And you're looking at this walled-in city. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's that back backdrop that Jesus decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this very moment to tell my disciples about what's to come. I'm going to tell them about the future. I'm going to tell them about a time that's going to be horrific, but I'm going to fill them with hope because I'm going to tell them about the call to come home that's going to associate that. And so Jesus, as he starts to deliver this message, he, in the midst of the message, gives the disciples really two critical things that he wants them to do in light of the fact that the end of times is going to come and a call home is going to happen. And here's how he starts it in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 5. Jesus told them, in light of the fact that I'm going to call you home someday, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and they will deceive many. Right off the bat, I'm talking like at the beginning of his teaching before he ever gets into the wars and earthquakes and famines and, you know, all of these different, you know, people that are going to come and they're going to work miraculous miracles and a lot of people are going to be misled, you know, be lied to and be misled. He starts it out with, let me just tell you before I say any of those things, don't let anyone mislead you. Don't let anyone mislead you. I mean, if you've ever been misled by a person in a relationship, you know what it feels like. It does not feel good. When you were told by someone, hey, I love you, only to have them stab you in the back. That doesn't feel good at all. Or maybe you have been financially blessed and you were trying to invest into something that you were guaranteed a massive return on, right? And so you put thousands of dollars into this thing only to have it be like a Ponzi scheme or some kind of you know, situation where you're getting ripped off. That doesn't feel good. Someone's misled you with your money. What about you wanted to go buy something and so the salesman's trying to convince you you need to, you know, don't buy that one. Buy this one because it's way better. It does A, B, C, and D, things that your, your item never would do. Only to get it home and find out they didn't tell you the truth. You were misled. I mean, how does that feel? Or what about even on the internet where, you know, you're, you got emails and in your email boxes, all these emails. And then one of them is like from the, the prince of Bel Air from the country in some place in uh, Africa who needs you and your bank account so that they can get by. But they're going to reward you mightily. And so you give them your bank account only to lose all your money. You know what I'm saying? All right, you should have known instantaneously the prince of Bel Air. I mean, that's an old show on TV, by the way. All right. Is that right? Am I right about that? Okay. No, I'm just, just joking. Just joking. I, I didn't really watch it. Okay. So, I mean, that doesn't feel good to be misled that way either. Maybe some of you have given generously to a person you thought that they were in need, only to find out they didn't really have a need. They just weren't managing their own finances well enough. And now you kind of feel like you got taken advantage of. You got misled. Or what about giving funds, donating funds to an organization only to find out that that organization is misusing those dollars? See, being misled doesn't feel good at all. In fact, it feels a little bit like you're violated. Why? Because you gave your best only to get hurt. That's why you feel violated. Well, look, Jesus isn't talking about getting hurt on this earth. And he's definitely not talking about this losing a few dollars. I mean, when Jesus is talking about don't be misled, he's talking about your soul and he's talking about eternity. 
This is something much bigger than just getting hurt on this earth or believing a lie from somebody that misleads you. Jesus is saying this, don't miss the call to come home by being misled. Don't miss that. So how can you, how can you avoid being misled? Well, it boils down to a couple of you know, simple principles. Number one, the best way to know a counterfeit is to intimately know the original. That's the best way. So if you've ever traveled out of the country, maybe to a third world country, and you've gone to the market where you can buy, you know, food items that should be refrigerated, that have been sitting out in the sun for all day, or you want to buy a hat or a shirt or a backpack or, you know, a blanket, and you go to these markets and like everybody that's selling hats is in this place, and everybody selling backpacks is over here, and everybody that sells, you know, blankets is over here, and so on and so forth, there's no like originality to it. And you get there and you're like, dude, man, this is amazing. Like I can get an Adidas hat or t-shirt for like $2. This is incredible. And you get over there and you're like, look, how does this look on me? And they go, it's, it doesn't say Adidas. It says Adidas to this, right? And you're like, what? Man, they can't rip me off like that. Like, oh, look at those Nike shoes. Like I'm going to buy some of those Nike shoes. And you're looking at them. You're trying to figure out like, what's wrong with these? But the swoosh is upside down, right? Or, you know, like a Rolex, dude, oh man, I've always wanted a Rolex, 20 bucks for a Rolex. And you look at it really closely and you recognize that the R is gone and all it says is Olex. And the second hand is laying at the bottom of the bezel, right? Citizen, Gucci, I mean, you name it, they've got it. And those are so easy to know the fake. Well, so easy. I should, I've been on a number of missions trips. There are some people I just could not convince all right? It's, it's Gucci, not Uchi, all right? And they're like, no, man, no, seriously, that's it, dude. My wife's going to love this bag. I'm going to buy this thing for her. She's going to think this is incredible. This bag's worth like a thousand bucks. I'm getting it for 50. You're getting ripped off. All right, so not everybody, not everybody gets it. I got that, all right? I, I got it. Not everybody gets it, all right? But here's the, here's the point, that when you intimately know the original, the fakes, they just start to stand out. They really stand out. And it's so important in Christianity to know the original so that you don't get misled. So how can we not be misled? It really starts with, it starts with this, um, seeking, asking, and knowing the need of discernment. That's where it starts. We are all in need of discernment, church. Right? Left unto our own demise, we will make the wrong decision all the time. We need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to help us navigate these you know, tumultuous waters of this life in which we are living. We need that. We, we can have assurance of the fact that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of them is discernment. And that we can ask for the Holy Spirit to give us, to give us discernment. And he wants to pour it out upon our lives. But please know this. Please know this. That there's something that comes with the asking of the gift of discernment, which I would encourage every single one of you that hears my voice today, seek the Holy Spirit and ask him for discernment in the day and age in which we live so that we can stay on the right track and fulfill the, the race that God has us on. But when you ask for it, you also have to then aggressively seek the original. It's not just asking for it, it's aggressively seeking the original. And let me lead you to a passive scripture where, there, where the writer is talking about the end of days, he's talking about the call to come home, but he's relating this back to the desire to seek the original. It's in 1 John, 
We're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18, and then we're going to leapfrog to 24 and then to 28. All because that he's talking about the same subject matter um, in this passage of Scripture. You can read the whole thing um, later. But he says in verse 18, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have actually appeared. From, from this, we know that the last hour has come. So then... In light of the last hour coming, the call to come home is coming quickly. So you must do something. Remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. So, remain faithful to what you've been taught. And if you do, you're going to remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Then he jumps to the end of his thought and he says this. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ like he just told us in 24. So that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in what? In shame. So here's what he tells us. Look, if you don't want to be misled, remain faithful to what you have been taught. What is it that we've been taught? And how are we taught in Christianity in 2018 today? I'm going to say this to you. This, what we're doing right now, is only a portion of what it means to be taught. The primary place that we are taught God's ways is through God's word, the Bible. And in studying God's word, which we do here on a Sunday... Some of the best places to study God's word then would be in a life group where you can, you know, sharpen each other, where it's one-on-one, and even by yourself when you're studying God's word. So if we're going to remain faithful to what we've been taught, then we have to come to the conclusion that there is no substitute for the Bible if we are going to be people that aren't misled in these last days in which we live in. And I would say this to you, discernment comes from our faithful study of God's word. That's where real discernment comes from. So you can ask the Holy Spirit for the gift of discernment, which I think you ought to do. But you should also recognize that discernment then gets, it gets like packed into our heart and into our mind as we study the word of God, knowing the original. And let me just show you a couple of scriptures that really point to this this, uh, principle. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. With what? With knowledge and all discernment. Where does the knowledge and discernment come from? It comes from God's word. That's where it comes from. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. For the call to come home. So play this out with me. When we, when we seek after God's, God's principles and God's ways through his word and we're being taught. We're being taught. We're being filled with the knowledge of God's word and the discernment that comes with God's word so that we can know what is excellent, we can know what is right, which will keep us pure and blameless so that we're ready for and not misled by anyone else. So when Jesus comes and he says, I call you home, man, we are ready to go. It all goes back to his word. It goes back to his word. That's where the whole foundation comes from. But look, there's more to it though. Here's, Hebrew. Here's what Hebrews says about it in chapter 5. He says, but solid food, what do you think solid food is? The word. Solid food is God's word. But solid food is for the mature, for those who are growing. In fact, solid, solid food helps maturity. God's word helps maturity. Who, listen to this, by constant use of 
solid food, by constant use of God's word, have trained themselves, have prepared themselves to distinguish or to discern between good from evil. It goes right back. God's word is what builds spiritual maturity. The constant use of it trains us so that we're discerning between good and evil. I would say to you, the gift of discernment is what we need if we're not going to be misled in the last days in which we live. And the only place you're going to get that is primarily through God's word. That's where it comes. And with that, guys, comes some amazing benefits. Okay? Amazing benefits. Let's go back to the first John passage really quick. Let me show you two amazing benefits. First one in verse 24. Let's just read it really quick. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning through God's word. If you do, here's the benefit. If you do, then you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. See, here, here's the good news. If you remain in the word and stay faithful to what we've been taught, then we we get a bonus. And the bonus is you get to remain in fellowship with Jesus and with the Father. I, I talk to people often that are worried about this call to come home because they're worried about missing it. They're worried about like not being prepared, not having their heart right with God. You know, they're worried about their actions or whatever it is. I would just say this to you. You never have to worry about missing the call to come home when you remain in fellowship with Jesus. But you remain in fellowship with Jesus when you remain in his word. You remain in his word, you remain in fellowship. Therefore, there's no worry and there's no fear of missing the call. So here's basically what it's saying. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Like, have you ever been in like, have you ever been in like a really, really large crowd with a group of people and you got to make your way through that crowd? Maybe the leader at that time said, hey, look, watch for Jeff. He's going to be wearing the red hat. Just keep your eyes on him. So if you get like broken up from the group, keep your eyes on the dude with the red hat and uh, we're going to press through this big crowd and then we'll, we'll meet together in the parking lot. So what do you do? Like you're walking through the crowd and you get kind of bumped or jostled and your friends go this way and you're over here, but you keep your eye on the guy with the red hat and you make your way through the crowd and you meet together in the parking lot. It's the same principle here. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus by fellowship with Christ through his word. Here's the deal. If you keep your eyes on him, you'll never miss the call to come home. You'll never miss it. There's another benefit, though, to remaining in the word. It's found in verse 28. It says, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ. Okay, that's what we want to do. So that when he returns, you will be what? What's the benefit? You will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Wow. There's so many Christians that live so defeated lives, uncertain, scared, worried about what will it be like when I have to present myself, when I look at myself and I see all my imperfections and I have to stand before Jesus. Have you ever had the thought that you would stand before Christ with courage? You know another word that's used in other, uh, other versions is the word confidence. You ever thought you would stand before Jesus with confidence and with courage? I think that's, the, that's where we want to live. We don't want to be Christians. Let's pull that back up. We don't want to be Christians that shrink back from him in shame, church. So we stay in his word, we stay in fellowship with him, we stand before the Lord with confidence and with great courage. It, when you hear a message like that and you read a scripture like that, isn't that where you want to be anyways? 
And if that's where you want to be, shouldn't we all be looking forward to the call to come home? We should all be looking forward to it, like with excitement in our heart, knowing that with confidence and courage, we're going to stand before Christ. Wow, that's where we want to be. So that's what Jesus was teaching to his disciples in these last days in which you live. Don't let anyone mislead you. Stay focused on me. But then he went on and he taught them, he taught them this in 2442. He said, so you too, us as well, must keep watch for you don't know what day the Lord, your Lord, is going to come. And that's the truth. Like the Bible tells us, uh, Jesus tells us, no man knows the hour No man knows the minute, no man knows the day in which Christ is going to come back. He encourages us to look to the signs of the times. And I think we've been looking to the signs of the times for decades. And we've noticed that Jesus is the one who said, you live in the last hours, you live in the last days. And if he said that, how much more so is it true than today? Some 2,000 plus years later, we are living in the last hours, if not the last minutes of, of of the last seconds. And what does he tell us to do in light of that? keep watch. That's what he says in the scripture. Keep watch. And right after he says that, he gives this brief like illustration. He goes, okay, now if you guys knew that a robber was going to come to your house three days from now at three o'clock in the morning, would you go on vacation? Of course not. That's what he says. No, you wouldn't. You would stay there. You'd prepare. You'd make sure that your stuff doesn't get stolen, right? Like you would be at the door 259 before they even come. That's what you would do. You might even have your wife standing there with her smaller shotgun. And maybe your teenager there with like a nine mil like that. I mean, I don't know. You might have like, you might have bought some big, like big dogs, right? You may have put a fence up so that when they come in and you, you know, you got your junior hire. Hey, close the fence when the robber comes in. We're going to let the dogs loose. It's going to be incredible. Make sure you got the video camera. It's going to be amazing. Like if you knew that was going to happen, you would prepare for it. That was the whole, the whole point. Jesus was saying like you would keep watch. Some Christians have taken this principle of keeping watch as if they're not supposed to do anything. They're supposed to like keep watch by disassociating from the world, not being involved. I would say to you, and I would argue the biblical truth that keeping watch doesn't mean sitting there doing nothing. Keeping watch means to be to be faith in action, doing something proactive to advance the kingdom before Jesus comes. Like if you knew that Jesus was coming back three days from now, would you just sit around your house and watch Netflix trying to get in the last episodes of that season? No. Well, I hope you wouldn't do that. I hope you wouldn't do that. Would you be like, oh man, I'm going to miss the whole Stanley Cup? You guys don't even know what that is. That's sad. It's like hockey, you know, 101. No, man, would you not be aggressive? Would you not start down the list of everybody you know that needs to know Jesus and start talking to them? Of course you would. That's what you would do. So keeping watch is faith in action. That's why Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 25 and he gives the two examples, one of the 10 virgins and then the other one of the talents. And here's how it all correlates with the keep watch. This is why he tells these two parables. Keep watch, 10 virgins, they have to have a lamp with oil and they're waiting for hours. It turns night, it's deep into the night and their lamps are burning, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come so that they can you know, be, be with him forever. 
and five of them, their oil starts going out, lamps are going out, and you know they have to leave, they have to stop watching, and they have to go get the oil. And here's what happens in Matthew 25, verse 10, that while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came, then those who were ready, who were keeping watch and were ready, they went in with him to the marriage feast, and what happens to the door? The door isn't just closed, the door is locked. Here's what he's trying to tell us. The call to come home happens once. It happens once. The call to come home happens once. Those who have been keeping watch are those who are ready. Are you keeping watch with your life today? Are you ready for the bridegroom to come? Here's what you would do if you're keeping watch. You'd be actively engaged in making sure the world knows that Jesus Christ is coming back. That's what you'd be involved with. Are you involved with, meaning are you actively helping others know the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you involved in ministry? Are you ready in the sense that you are prepared because you're a part of the mission? That's what it means to be ready. Are you helping others know that the call to come home is coming and it's coming quickly? Then he turns the tables and he goes, let me just tell you one more story about what it means to keep watch just in case you didn't get that one. And he talks about the parables, or talks about the parable of the talents. And he says, look, one guy gets five talents, the other one gets two, and another one gets one. And when we've, some of you have heard this story before. I don't, I don't know that you truly understand the value or the weight of the talent. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money here. So if you're good with math at all, let me just give you the breakdown really quick. One talent would have been worth somewhere around 6,000 denarii. One denarii could employ a man for one day. So how many men could you employ for one day? 6,000. 6,000. If you want to understand the value of the talent, then say, oh, if, I could, if I could employ 6,000 people for one day, then how many people could I employ for a year? So divide 6,000 by... 365. You're going to end up with 16.4 people that you can employ for a year. Now, give a salary value to those 16.4 people, like $45,000, and you're going to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, times that, I know I'm losing you, but follow me, times that by the amount of talents. How many talents are in the story? Five, two, and one. Eight talents, times it times eight, and you're going to get $5.9 million worth of talents. Now, that's a lot of cash. That's how much money in today's world the master gave to his three servants. So when the master comes back and he hears that, you know, one of them took five talents worth how much? A lot. We're talking a lot here, guys, in the millions, and he doubled it. I would be excited too, wouldn't you? Oh man, I'd be like thrilled. I mean, that guy's gonna get a big bonus at Christmas. And then you got the guy who has the two and he doubled it, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, he's also getting an incredible bonus. You would see why he'd be so excited. But then you hear about the one guy who took hundreds of thousands of dollars and dug a hole and buried it in the ground? No wonder he was ticked off. No wonder he said, if you just would have put it in the bank at 1.5% interest, I would have had thousands of dollars. Right? You see, Jesus is using this and he's saying something to us. Here's what it means to keep watch. If you want to know what it means to keep watch, take the value of the talent, you, 
your soul, invest it into the kingdom and do something with it because evidently your soul is worth more than you even know. That's the principle he's trying to keep here. He's trying to bring it right before our eyes to keep watches, to do something proactive that builds the kingdom of God while we still have breath to do it. Because you don't know when the master's coming back and he's going to collect what he gave. He gave you your life. It's worth more than you know. How are we keeping watch with it while Jesus is waiting to call us home? If you want to understand keeping watch, then Paul helps us see it again as he's talking about the day that Christ is going to come and call us home in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says these words, so be on your guard, so keep watch, not asleep like the others. Not spiritually asleep where you've lost focus, where you've had to go do other things, where you got so distracted in this world that you forgot why you were even here. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Keep your, keep your mind in the game. Keep your heart in the game. Stay on guard. Keep watch. Don't become the Christian that falls asleep in the, in the last minutes of the last seconds of the last hours in which we are living on this earth. Keep watch. And keep your faith engaged. There is no doubt that the promise of the call to come home is going to happen. It may not happen in our lifetime, but it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen in our lifetime, then you and me who are in the grave will be the first ones to meet him in the air. That's good news. So I want to end today. I want to end this teaching by reading to you at the very end of the Bible... Revelation chapter 22, you get to the, 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 the verse before the very last one. And here's what John writes as he has this vision on the island of Patmos. Here's what he writes as we wrap up this message today. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says something. He says this. You want to know who the faithful witness is? Who says these words? Yes, I'm coming soon. Who says those words? Yes, I'm coming soon. Jesus. So who is the faithful witness to all these things in the whole book of Revelation, in the whole Bible itself? Who is the faithful witness? It's Jesus. And what are the final words in the Bible from Jesus? Yes, I am coming soon. What are the final words from humanity? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Our response today should be this with confidence and with courage in our heart that we will one day stand before Jesus, knowing that Jesus is coming soon, our response today in our time of worship should simply be this. Amen! Exclamation point. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And the question you should be asking yourself right now is this. If you don't feel that excited about it, what's keeping you from being that excited? It might be that you have a misinterpretation of what it will be like when you stand before Jesus. Or maybe it's, man, we're not in the word and we're not in fellowship with Jesus. If I was to stand before him, I would be one of those that would shrink back in shame. Well, church, this let me encourage you today. It's easy to fix that. Starts with repentance. Starts with repentance. Whatever stands between you and God that would keep you from amen, exclamation point. Come, Lord Jesus, exclamation point. I want those words to flow off your lips today. I want you to walk out of here with an excitement in your heart that, yes, I'm ready, man. Jesus could come tomorrow. He could come right now. 
In fact, do it, Lord, do it. Do it. But as long as you keep me here, may I not be misled and may I keep watch for you. Amen? So whatever keeps you from being excited, whatever keeps you from verbally being able to say, yes, amen, come Lord Jesus, let's get that part of our heart right with God today so that before we walk out of these doors with excitement in your heart, you can say, yes, amen, Lord, come. Come quickly, Lord, come now. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, your word, once again, it like cuts quick to the heart, but with such an encouragement Lord, I want this congregation of people to be a church that just with excitement in their heart would say, Lord, as long as I'm here, I'm going to remain faithful to you, not be misled. I'm going to stay in your word and stay in fellowship with you, and I'm going to stay watchful with you, Lord. I'm going to be a part of leading other people to you. But at the same time, Lord, there's going to be this spot in my heart that this says day after day, amen, Lord, come today, Jesus. Come today. Come right now. All we want to do is spend the rest of our time with you. We want to spend the rest of our life with you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I pray that our church would be excited about that. I pray that in their hearts they would have the assurance of knowing that they could say those words. And it's not just selfish, but it's proclaiming. It's proclaiming you until you come and you say, come home, son. Come home, daughter. We're looking forward to that day, Lord. Whatever stands between us and you, that would keep us from being excited. Lord, would you just prick our heart about that and may we repent to you. May we get our lives right with you so that before we walk out of these doors, we could be on the same page with you. You said that you're coming soon and you were excited about it, exclamation mark. May we also be equally excited. So Lord, as I finish this prayer, we're all gonna say amen. Come Lord Jesus together. So the church, let's say that. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.